All right, good morning, Life Point. My name is Fred. And I'm Tyler. And so uh, you guys might be wondering why there's two of us on stage. Well, it takes two people to do the job of one Kyle. Um, that's kind of the rule of the universe. Um, and so uh, Tyler is our new students director. He's been here for five months. He's been doing an amazing job, and he's a great teacher. And he's going to be uh, co-teaching together with me. And so um, I'm excited for that. And so we've been in a series called Second, uh, looking at how many times we don't put God first, we put him second in our lives, when in actuality, uh, we come second, not him. Um, our series uh, theme uh, has been really centered around um, how many times we put God uh, uh, last. And so let's go and put the series theme up on the screen. Uh, the series theme is when we don't obey God first, we open ourselves up to putting God last, okay? Yeah. And our series verse comes from 1 Samuel 8, 6 through 9. This is out of the Bible in the Old Testament. Um, it says this, when they said, uh, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. Um, and so what's happening here is that God's people in the Old Testament thousands of years ago, they wanted a, a human king um, when in actuality God was supposed to be their king. And so God brings, uh, gives them a king, it goes badly, and then brings judgment, destroys Jerusalem, and they're exiled for 50 years. So that's kind of the context. Um, so he prayed to the Lord, but the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything that they have said to you. They have not rejected you, Samuel was the judge, they have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me, this is the heart of it, and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. It has been 50 years. Jerusalem has lied in ruin. Solomon's temple was destroyed, and the Babylonian Empire came in and laid waste to the city. The siege lasted for hundreds of days, resource deprivation, starving people, filthy, burned-down streets, all led to the people of Israel, God's chosen people, driven from their promised land into a foreign space. 50 years of penance being paid because they did not follow God and put him first. 50 years. It's a long time. But there's hope. You see, God did not send his people into captivity in vain. Rather, he sent them with a promise. Seek the peace of the city I put you in. Multiply. Take sons and daughters and marry them and plant gardens. Do not decrease, for I have a plan for you and it will prosper you. See, there is a remnant of Israel left right now, and they are driven into a foreign land that they're not used to. But God was watching over them. And so for 50 years, they paid penance, and then a Persian king had a, soft, had a softened heart. You see, God uses the second-rate king in, in the rule over them to say, hey, I want you to go back and restore what once was. I want you to go back to your promised land, rebuild the temple to your God, and become a people again. And so the first leader is sent with the first wave of Israelites. And you can see the journey on the map behind me. And they, they leave Babylon and they head back to the Holy Land, to this promised place. And they begin reconstruction. And it takes about, you guessed it, 50 years. And it comes to a screeching halt. So there's litigation and there's letters written to the power that be in hopes that the foundation could finally be laid and that this temple that they worshiped at could be rebuilt. And man, was it a sight when it happened. The people gathered. They dedicated the ground. They started to worship and praise God that this, they, the house of worship was back. But under the cheers, under the roaring of the crowd, 
What can't be heard is the weeping of the elders. I imagine the dirt under their feet turned to mud as they sobbed, knowing that this temple was but a remnant of what Solomon had. It was a remnant of what Israel once had when they were in power. And the presence of God did not descend back on that temple. The people of Israel are then sent with more leaders, Ezra and Nehemiah from the Persian Empire, back to the Promised Land, and that's where our story will pick up today. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to camp out in verse 1, and we'll go through the chapter today. All the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate, and they asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. And on the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding. And while he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men and the women and those who could understand. And all the people listened attentively attentively to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. They read out out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Israel had a funny relationship with God. There's this cyclical cycle that happens throughout their history where they they have this time of blessing and God is just reigning over them. And then it gets sweet and they get a little fattened and they're like, oh man, maybe God's not really doing this. Maybe we are really just that good. And so they forget. And then they start to turn away and there's ruin. And then they have this moment where they realize, oh wait, it was God the whole time. So they have to cry out to God. And then he remembers and there's blessing again. And it's just this cyclical cycle uh, and their, their nation's motto could be, if I quoted the great philosopher Ricky Bobby, if he ain't first, he's last. <laughs> Some of you understand that. Some of you are going, I, I don't get it. We'll, we'll explain. But taking, taking further look at this, you're looking, we're looking at an assembly of people gathered together. And it's not just men gathered. It's not just the, the lead, lead of every household. It's not just the people important in the nation, but rather it's everyone. Husbands, wives, grandma, grandpa, aunt and uncle, and their kids. And they chose to worship together on the first day of the month, or the seventh day, it was a Sunday, so it's the day after their Sabbath, and they're looking for instruction on what to do. And this whole first part of Ezra's message where he's standing on a platform and they're gathered together is, well, he ain't first. Now, noteworthy observation here. They didn't have a rocking kids ministry, nor did they have a great youth group, I'm partial to the youth group, uh, to entertain the, the youngins. Rather, they just said, hey, come, come watch as we worship together. So you have a gathering of people. Ezra's standing on a podium. There's people gathered around, and they're listening to the law. And it's almost as if there's a mirror being held up in front of them. Do you remember the first time someone told you about the gospel? I mean, they told you the good news of who Jesus was, how sin came into the world that separated us from God, and we needed somebody to pay that price so that we could be connected with him again. What did you feel? What did you think? Were there internal implications that that were wrestling and churning in your stomach? Maybe some external expression of emotion, 
You might have cried. You might have sat silently with your arms crossed, baffled. This is what's happening for Israel in the moment. They're having this mirror held up in front of them, and it's showing them the flaws of not just them, but their ancestors that came before them. They're starting to reckon with and understand why they've been in Babylon for so long. The generation standing here remember Solomon's temple, but they also were born into captivity. They're unfamiliar with this holy land that they're standing on. They don't know what it means to be a people of God because they've only known being captives, being slaves. The sport I was most inclined to do growing up and the study the most was martial arts. And my instructor would always say, as I teach you, as I instruct you, as you learn this, this art, you are becoming a reflection of me just as I am a reflection of the instructor before me. You see, the law was given to Israel to be a reflection of God. They were to be set apart from everybody else. It showed that this is a nation that follows Yahweh, the one God. Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God. And so we're watching as these people walk through history broken and are now being confronted with the brokenness of the nation. Now, I wish I could wake up looking as good as I do right now. Like, I wish I got up out of bed and said, yeah, I'm put together, we're ready to go. The reality is that I look more like uh, maybe Danny Zuko in the opening credits for the Grease movie. This is getting to that older audience. Yeah, remember, he gets out of bed and his hair is just this big fuzzball and there's a nose sticking out. So he shuffles over to his mirror and he starts to comb his hair with his grease and his pomade. And then the caricature shows up and it's this put together picture of John Travolta. Well, same for me, right? I wake up, my beard's matted to my face, my breath is less than flattering, my eyebrows are sticking up, uh, you know, hair is a mess. And so I do, I shuffle to the bathroom and I start to put myself back together. Now, this didn't happen overnight. I didn't learn how to do this by osmosis, but rather I learned how to do it by watching others, by having a barber teach me how to brush and comb my beard, by having a barber teach me how to style my hair, by learning that if I just brushed my eyebrows to the right and to the left, they laid flat and they didn't stick out. But all of that to be said, when we look at the law, when we're being instructed, it's the same thing. It's the mirror that helps us put ourselves back together. When we look into the mirror, we'll see the flaws. We see our brokenness. And if we stay there too long, we can become depressed, right? Like we can stare at our brokenness too long and then we go, okay, but what am I supposed to do with this? But remember, when you were told the gospel the first time, there was hope. There was promise behind it. And Israel is experiencing that same thing. They're hearing the law. They're weeping over their sin. But there's promise. Why? Because they were in a foreign land and now they're home. So there's, there's nowhere else to go but up. Now, I didn't pass my test in karate. I didn't move up by thinking my own way. But rather, someone instructed me. They gave me common terms. And it says in the text here that Ezra and his team were telling people how to do these things. Not in fancy words, not just by reading the law, but in common ways. You see, it's important to understand that when we are looking at Jesus and we are looking at our relationship with him, it is not the reading of the Bible. It's not these well-formulated and articulated arguments that captured our heart. Rather, it's the people that surround us. It's the ones that we saw daily grieving over their sins, that we got to worship with them and celebrate in the winds, that we were there to pray with them or they were there to pray with us through the loss. Those are the pivotal moments that shape us. And it's true for the youngins, right? Like, if Israel had left their kids at home that day, they wouldn't have seen 
their parents, their grandparents weeping over their sin. Our sole job in life, in parenting and being a brother or a sister in this assembly, in this place, among these people, is this, is that we are to be a reflection of Jesus. So we've seen that um, if he ain't first, he's last. Um, And that's really where the Israelites were at. But what's interesting is even though that was their perspective, it it didn't line up with reality. And so this next part, um, we're going to see Ezra and Nehemiah try to line people back up with what's true and really what the way out of it is, as Tyler kind of talked about. So uh, Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says this. It says, then he said to them, this could have been Ezra and Nehemiah, we're not sure exactly who, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you guys remember, they heard the words of the law, they were weeping, moms and dads and families just broken over uh, what had caused their exile and what, it, what they had done against against God. Um, And then it says, um, and the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still since the day is holy. Don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions and have a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. Verse 17, the whole community that had returned from exile made shelters, this was part of a festival, and lived in them. The Israelites had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun. He worked with Moses um, to bring people out of Egypt until that day. And there was tremendous amounts of joy. Um, And so after hearing the law, really in a way that was new to them, they had heard the law before, but not in such a public gathering, Um, in a place that was also new to them, the rebuilt Jerusalem, they had a rebuilt temple, Um, they began to spiral, right? So they heard the words of the law, they were broken, and they began to do something that was actually wrong, according to uh, Ezra and the priests. They were so broken, they um, started to spiral. And, And this wasn't necessarily a bad thing, right, to be broken over our sin or what the things that we do against God. If you don't know God, welcome, by the way. We're thankful that you're here today. Um, we believe that we are broken men and women, and we reject God in certain ways, and that will, that's what we call sin. Um, and, and so it wasn't necessarily bad that they were grieving, but they were missing something in their grief. They, they were missing the beauty of the God who was behind the law. Does that make sense? So, so if the law or the Pentateuch is this mirror uh, showing uh, the Israelites who they were, and even us today in a certain way, um, who we are, um, the idea is that we see God in the midst of that. He's the one holding up the mirror. Um, and so uh, Ezra and Nehemiah tell the people to stop grieving um, and, and to change their perspective on God and change their perspective on who he is. Um, because their biggest problem, and maybe our biggest problem too, guys, is perspective. Um, is how we see things. So um, I, I uh, like to write things sometimes, uh, like messages or get to write emails. Um, and so um, I have a certain way that I view the use of commas. Anybody heard of the Oxford comma before? It's like when you're listing things, like I'm going to get food, I'm going to get drinks, and then you put another comma, and then you say, and I'm going to get fishing poles, right, or whatever you're going to get. I think that that third comma is useless, okay? Um, if you guys <laughs> study the grammar of English, you guys probably get frustrated by it. Um, I think it's kind of a relic <laughs> of the past. I just don't like using commas that much. And other people have a different perspective on it that I haven't really listened to, okay? And they're just wrong about how they use commas. But, but um, uh, as dumb as it sounds, um, how we view something affects how we view something. And, and so if we view God as weak, as distant, and as uncaring, that's going to affect how we relate to God, Right? 
Um, but if we view God as preeminent, as powerful, as present, as loving, he's going to be the king of the hill, right? He's going to be number one in our hearts. And that's the idea of putting God first. They had to see who God was, and they had to see him in the midst of the law. And that's why um, Ezra and Nehemiah tell them to stop grieving um, and they give two reasons for that. They, number, the first one is the day is holy to the Lord. It was the first day of a festival. They were supposed to rest and celebrate, um, not, not to grieve. And then the second reason, he says, is the joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, and, and I think that first reason kind of makes sense, right? Like, don't grieve because we're supposed to be celebrating right now, right? Um, uh, the second reason is kind of harder to understand. Uh, how does the joy of the Lord give us strength? Um, and I think the answer has to do with what the Israelites were trying to accomplish. Because the reason for their exile, what we just read, was that they had worshipped other gods. That, like Tyler said, they, there was the, this beautiful God and, and he, they were close and he would bless them and then they would turn away. Then they'd realize, oh, God is actually real. We need to turn back to him. And so joy is what they needed. It would give them the umph to turn back to God and to have relationship with him and to know him. Um, maybe a better way to say this is they needed God in the midst of the law to follow him. Um, so um, I've got two sons, uh, Cannon and Silas, uh, and they're just amazing. They're actually way better than I am. They're smarter than I am already, which is hard because I have to like control them and manage them, but they're pointing out all my flaws. Um, but when you teach a child something, if you guys have kids or grandkids or maybe uh, you're an aunt or an uncle, uh, it, it, there's a certain way to teach a child to do something, okay? So the wrong way to teach a child to do something is to go to them and say, hey, uh, I want you to do this. These are the steps. These are the sub-steps. This is, and you print off like a little Q&A. This is a little troubleshooting thing. If you have a problem, I'm gonna be on the couch scrolling Instagram and, and I'll yell at you when you mess up, okay? That's not the way you teach a child what to do, right? It's gonna go badly. But when I teach Canon something, I say, hey, today we're going to learn how to do the laundry, okay? And so I'm going to walk you through each step. We're going to get all the material, and then, and then this is the process, and this is how you know it worked, and this is when you open it up. And, and if he fails or if he messes up, I'm going to graciously correct him. And so in the midst of the law, God was not just giving rules and consequences he was giving himself. Do you guys get that? Like the law, it was a covenant with God. It was this relationship. Is the way he said, hey, we have a relationship. I'm not leaving you, but this is how we're gonna relate. These are the boundaries of that relationship. And when they read the law, they didn't see God in the midst of it. Instead, they had this hopeless grief, right? And that's why it was wrong, because it was hopeless. They, they didn't know what to do with the grief. And that's why uh, the, the Ezra and the priests, they, they calmed them down, and they turn them back to God and say, hey, God is in the midst of this. Let's celebrate this festival together and let's see God in all that he has done. And so to kind of bring this back to our main point, um, if he ain't first, he's last. Um, the reason we put God last, guys, is because we don't have joy in him. Okay? We, we don't have joy in God. And so a lot of times we put him last in our life. And, and it, there's this dichotomy of if God's, there's like no second place in your heart. Okay? When it comes to making idols and worshiping other things, whether that's yourself or a person, or maybe you have a little idol at home that you worship in place of God, it's not like God can just be second in your life. If he's not first, he ends up being last in your life. And, and a lot of times the reason is we lack joy and because we miss God in the midst of the law. We, we, we don't understand that God can give us the pleasure and the peace to supplant these other idols, okay? So 
um, I'm not going <laughs> to, don't raise your hand, but, but, but a lot of people here are recovering addicts, okay? Um, and a lot of us have addictions and, and hang-ups. I think all of us do to some degree. And if you ask somebody who's a recovering addict why they did it, my guess is because it gave them peace and it gave them pleasure, and it's the same for our idolatry, the things that we make God instead of God because it gives us peace and it gives us pleasure. And we don't realize that God already offers to give us those things, not in a temporary way, but in a permanent way. Um, and so the solution to everything that was happening was to see the beauty of God in the midst of the law, okay? But even that was not enough. Um, so um, Ezra and Nehemiah, they're the last books written chronologically in the Old Testament, okay? After the events that we read in, in Nehemiah, there's 400 years of what we call prophetic silence, or God doesn't have any major words, um, and there's no major scripture written in that time. Um, but about 400 years later, the people would gather uh, together again, and they would hear the word of God explained to them in a powerful way by a rabbi named Jesus, okay? They would gather in hundreds, even in thousands to hear him expound on the word. And what's interesting is as he explained the word, he explained it in such a way um, as if he had written it. Does that, so, so if I grab the Bible and I, and I, and I explain this in a way that, that I wrote it, you guys would have a big problem with that, right? Like, well, I wrote this down and you guys would know that, that's heresy, right? That's not true. But Jesus taught God's word as if he had written it and he explained it plainly to the people. Um, and what happened was the people rejected Jesus, and he was crucified on a cross. They, they put him up on a, a cross beam of wood, and, and they put him to death. But what was happening is as men were working, killing Jesus, the Son of God, who, who, had the, who was the embodiment of God, God was also working in that moment. Because we see in Jesus that God became last. So, so our divine being, if you don't know who God is or don't follow him, don't care about him, um, our divine being became a man, and his name was Jesus. And, and it wasn't just enough that he became a man, Jesus became a servant, okay? And even more than that, he became a criminal. He was condemned as a criminal. And even more than that, he was killed as a sacrifice for our brokenness. And, and that's why when we are walking in grief, you get me like, hey, how does this connect back to me? When we're broken about what we've done, and whether we know Jesus or we don't, we can see in Christ that he has taken away our grief. He's taken away our sin. Our, our sin was put on him. And even more than that, we see that on the third day, Jesus rose again. He came back from the dead, and he walked out of his tomb. And because of that, we can have joy, okay? We can have joy in God in the new life that we have. So it's not hopeless grief. We hear these words. We're like, I don't know what to do. Before I knew Jesus, I would hear this, guys, and I had no idea what to do or what to feel. Man, what do I do with this? We know what to do because of what Christ has done for us. We can see that he has taken away our grief and he has given us eternal life. And that's why we can't stay broken in our grief. There's this beautiful reality. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's beautiful or not. Maybe not beautiful. There are these two ditches, okay, in Christianity. The first ditch is probably more common uh, where we are pretty flippant with our disobedience against God. Like the, the rules God gives us, we break them and we don't care, okay? Um, and the other ditch is this idea of being overgrieved by our sin. As if Jesus hasn't died and risen. And, and you wouldn't believe how many Christians find themselves in this second category. But the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ is that we can grieve our sin, but in the resurrection we can let go of it, right? Like our sin has been taken away, so we should shake it off, right? It's not enough to stay in our sin, because otherwise we're going back to a place 
where we want to earn our forgiveness with God. So kind of getting back to our main point, he ain't last, okay? God is not last. He's in fact preeminent, and he's shown, this is shown in his grace and his love and his covenant and his power. Um, but ironically, even though he ain't last, uh, he became last in his son Jesus. Um, he took the place of being last so that we might put God first. Um, and so we've got a couple next steps for you guys today. Um, just two next steps. Um, the first one um, is we can put God first this week by first looking in the mirror. So as Tyler talked about, when we read God's word, especially the law, we see ourselves, right? Anybody do that? You're reading this? Like, oh, no, I, I did that. Oh, no, I did that. Oh, no, I did that, right? Um, we can see ourselves in a mirror. But also we see the beauty of God's creation inside of us, right? We see both how God made us and we also see um, our brokenness. So, so look in the mirror, man. Have enough courage to really look at who you are. Take inventory of who you are and what you've done in rejecting God. Um, and then secondly, shake it off, okay? Um, don't think that uh, there, there's this form of penance where we feel bad about our sin and that brings about true forgiveness, that God will actually forgive me if I feel bad enough about, that's not true. That's actually what they felt under the law, right? The Old Testament we've been talking about. Instead, see that your sin has been removed. Shake it off. And, and it doesn't mean don't grieve your sin. Don't hear me say that. But it means don't stay there. Man, how can we stay there when Jesus has died and risen to take it away? So let's bow our heads and let's pray, guys. Let's go to God. Um, Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you so much for um, even the joy that gives us strength. I think a lot of us here today, we just want a bit of joy because we need the strength to stop doing uh, maybe the things that we are doing against you. Um, and, and all we need is just a vision of you, a vision of Jesus, and just a measure of joy. And that would give us all the strength that we need to turn from these things and turn back to you. Father, I'm so thankful um, for all the men and women here today and all the people who encourage me to constantly look in your word and to look to Jesus and, and, and to see both beauty and brokenness. Um, and in the midst of that brokenness, to see that I've been redeemed and forgiven along with so many others if they would just accept Jesus and turn to him. Um, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty, guys. So we have, what's up, Tyler? Hey, Fred. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. What's up? Yeah. You don't like my pool noodle? Uh, you better explain what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so as we, as we kind of celebrated earlier today, we've had our day camp for our, our kids uh, that has gone on the past couple days. And today we're going to celebrate the ending of that. So uh, we have a splish splash day. This is a family event. Now, this is going to happen after the second service. So we still got a little bit of time. If you've got kiddos, Feel free, you can just leave them in the kids' ministry. They'll be okay. They're in good hands. We've got a rocking kids' ministry. For you, grab a cup of coffee, maybe come back in, worship with us again, hear Fred and I talk again, can't hurt. Or if you want to come back, we'll end that service, ends about right at like, what, 1130-ish? Uh, yeah, a little yeah, bit before that. A little bit if before Kyle's that. preaching, it's like noon, but we'll, we'll try enough. to get you out. Fair enough. <laughs> so come back and, and, uh, and hang out with us. There'll be food and water and games and fun for you to have. Awesome. Yep. So come on back. Um, also, next Sunday, we invite you back to our next series called Wisdom. Okay, we're going to be looking at the, the Proverbs and a lot of wisdom literature. And it doesn't mean we think you're dumb, for sure. Um, but it means that we have got something to learn about what it means to live with God and to live in this right way. So come on back next Sunday. Um, otherwise, you guys have a great Sunday. Take care, and we'll see you next week.